Ezra chapter 3. Ezra is right before Nehemiah, so your Bibles might be trained to Nehemiah since we did our our verse-by-verse series through there months back. Yeah, Ezra chapter 3. So Ezra and Nehemiah, they were contemporaries. They were around at the same time. Ezra comes in and starts his work first. Nehemiah comes in and starts some work later. Ezra starts uh, with rebuilding the temple. And then, of course, what did, what did Nehemiah build? The wall. the wall. Very good. If nobody had gotten that right, I'd be like, man, uh, there's a podcast you should all go listen to. Like 20 weeks of, of the book of Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 3. So in Ezra chapter 3, a little bit more context. Remember, we learned some of this from Nehemiah. But the people of Israel have returned to their homeland for the purpose of building God's temple. Rebuilding the temple is practical and it's symbolic. It's practical in that it was commanded, it was God's place where he commanded that he would live and that his spirit would dwell and his people could worship. And it's symbolic of their repentance and their reprioritization of what matters. So they're saying, this is a practical thing that we're doing, and this is a profound thing that we're doing symbolically because we're putting first things first. Rebuilding the temple was going to be a costly thing. What happened to the temple? Did a storm knock it down? Was there an earthquake? No, it was the sin of the people that allowed their enemies to come in and destroy them. The Lord had warned everybody, obey me and all will go well. Every parent has always said that, right? Hey, just do what I say. And you'll never get another spanking for the rest of your entire life. Is it really that simple? It's that simple, buddy. Like, just don't ever disobey. Nothing bad will happen. Um, But unfortunately, God's people disobeyed. We're familiar with that, unfortunately, in our own lives. And because of that, the Lord's judgment was that their enemy, they were exposed to their enemies. Their enemies come in and destroy the glorious and expansive temple, the beautiful temple that was covered in gold, that was covered in silver, that would have been worth billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars, has been ransacked and lost. But now the people are going to prioritize something. They're going to move forward, and they're going to do what matters most to accomplish the will of God. So we're going to look in verse 1 of chapter 3. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Of course, what we see here when they're united as one man, this is over 50,000 people that have come. They've been slaves, but King Cyrus has received the prophecy that he was written about to release the people. So God had prophesied about this man by name that they would all be able to be released to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their city. He goes, the scriptures wrote about me, and they say, yeah, literally by name. He's, he's probably pretty impacted by the fact that he has been prophesied about. And he says, and it says that you're going to let God's people go back and worship and rebuild. And he goes, well, I, then I will. And, and he encourages that and he supports that. And now the people have gathered in Jerusalem and they're saying, okay, this is a, this is a sweet moment, but it's a bittersweet moment. Why is it sweet? Well, it's sweet because we're all reunited and we're going to rebuild something. It's bitter in that we have to rebuild to begin with. Why were we ever exiled? Because of our sin. But they've gathered now as one man. When you gather as one man, what's that showing? It's showing their unity and it's showing their commitment to the mission. We're in a similar situation in that we've gathered with unity and a commitment to the mission of God. I told you from day one as a church, I'm planting the church that I want to attend. I'm planting the church that in a few years that I'm not going to look around and go, I'm bored. Nothing's, I'm not accomplishing. I'm not doing work. I'm not outward focused on the mission of God. So what are we saying? Well, we want to be both and, my Brock. Could you grab that door, pull it too, buddy? 
Thank you, sir. I didn't know if I was hearing nursery sounds or... I think it's all right. Yeah, that's what I thought. Thank you, Brock. So we've united around one particular mission and one particular vision. There's a sense in which every New Testament church has the same mission. Every New Testament church has the same purpose because they've, they've gathered under the name of Jesus to glorify his name and to prioritize his work. And yet, there are things that are unique, just like a household is unique. Natalie and I in the Clark household, we've got a, a specific thumbprint. The Brophys have a specific thumbprint. It's different. They're going to love each other. They're going to glorify God, but it's going to look unique, and that's a good thing, and there's a flavor there, and that's appropriate. The same thing happens in a local church. So we've gathered with a particular mission as one man, we could say, to say, we're united on this purpose, and I'm actually going to refresh you, refresh your memories and your hearts on what our vision and what our purpose is. Let's keep going, though. In verse 2, we see they arose, and Jeshua, the son of Jezodak, and his fellow priests, Zerubbabel, the son of that guy, I don't want you to think I'm cussing at you, so we'll just skip it, with his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So the temple is, gonna, is the priority, and yet they build the altar first. So the altar is just outside the temple. It's just outside the front doors. It's a podium. It's a platform. And they say, we're going to build that first. This is a marker. This is a moment. This is what they're doing for a reason. It says in verse 3, they set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. Burnt offerings morning and evening. Letting the incense arise unto the Lord. So what are they doing? They're prioritizing. First of all, they're afraid of the other peoples in the lands who are going to intimidate them and try and get them to stop the work just like we saw with Nehemiah. You've had the same thing. You've had reasons to walk away from Jesus. They weren't good, but you've had temptations. You've had moments. You've had challenges. As a church, we have and we will again in the future face difficulties and things that could cause us to have fear in our hearts. What should we do in a moment like that? The altar is always the right place to go. The altar is a killing place. The altar is a place of lying down. And ultimately, as Christians, we're called to be living sacrifices. So they rebuilt the altar because this is where they wanted to offer sacrifice to God. Before they built the temple, they started the worship. Lord, be pleased. We're not going to wait till the temple is finished. This will be a long project. The first thing we're going to do is offer sacrifice unto the Lord. It's going to cost us something right away. They didn't wait to say, hey, once we get a roof over our, once we get a roof over our heads, then we'll worship. They understood that sacrifice was worship. <coughs> This has always been true for Christians. Jesus made that plain, and it should be the same way for us. They offered up animals on the altar. We're told to offer up a different kind of sacrifice. Am I supposed to die? Well, yes and no. Jesus said we're a living sacrifice. He says, crucify yourself. Put yourself on the cross as you follow him. So it's costly to follow Jesus. And that's been another marker of Salt Church. We're just telling the truth about what the Bible says. There is, there is a grace of God, there is a love of God that we will preach boldly about and we will rejoice, and there is a cost to following the Lord. Jesus made this plain. He says, anyone who will not give up everything is not worthy to be my disciple. He says, you should count the cost. He says, count it, count it, see, and whether or not you, you're actually going to have what it takes to finish the building project of following the Lord. So following Jesus is expensive, but Jesus is worth everything. He requires your life. He requires self-crucifixion. In, in Salt Church, we put it in one of our values. We simply say it this way. We love God for real, for real. That's our elaborate theological explanation of what it really looks like to love God with sincerity. What do we mean by that? Well, we mean that 
We don't have a convenient religion. We don't have a religion that says it's raining. (laughs) So I'm not going to worship today. Or it's sunny, so I'm not going to worship today. But we have a sincere one because I and you, we've agreed on this. We don't want to be a part of a church with no standards. We don't want to be a part of a church with no mission. A church with no standards, a church with no mission has no purpose. And it has no glory. And it brings no pleasure to the Lord. Because the Lord has a purpose for his church. Let's keep looking ahead here in verse 10. And when the builders had laid the foundation, so we've, we've laid the altar, but now we've moved on to the foundations of the temple. When the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively and praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord was laid. So the foundation was laid, and it was occasion for rejoicing. We are laying foundation in Salt Church. We've been laying foundation for two years. Are we done? Are we not done? We're always going to be revisiting the foundation. We always want the foundation to be strong. But that's what we've been prioritizing as a church. And this is an occasion for rejoicing. We've got a lot to celebrate. We are the people of God. We're gathered in the name of God. He has established his name on, on earth through the church. The Bible tells us that the church of Jesus is the pillar and the foundation of truth in the earth. It's not the government. It's not the household. What is the pillar of the truth on planet earth? Who is to determine what's true? Who determines what's right and what's wrong? It is the church. It is the body of Christ. We are the preacher to the planet to say, we will tell you right from wrong. Well, the law says this. The law is to receive its instruction from the body of Christ. Jesus is king. And well, who's his spokesman? Well, his spokesman for the truth is the church. The church is to preach and proclaim the gospel. That is the pillar that the whole world is to adapt itself to. And now households can respond appropriately to the pillar of truth. And now governments can respond appropriately to the pillar of truth. Jesus has established a pillar of truth, though. Who do we defer to? The church determines the pillar of the truth. That doesn't mean that the church is to overstep their boundaries. The church has a a, a specific place. The church is not to rule in your household. You are supposed to rule in your household. The church is not supposed to rule the government, although the, church will, although the government should always take its cues from the church. You understand the difference? So we're not saying we want a, a church, uh, a national church. That's not what we're saying. But the government should take its instruction from the scriptures. Why? Because the king is king. And all of our laws, where else would they get their morality from? <laughs> That's the role of government, to determine what's right from wrong. So we're the kind of church who says those things. We're the kind of church who makes those things plain. And we're the kind of church who wants to stand up and and enjoy being a part of God's pillar in the earth. What are we rejoicing for? We're rejoicing because the Lord has added to us. We're rejoicing because we've added Bible studies, because people's lives have been changed already in two short years. Two short years. We will never know the work that's already been done through Salt Church, through you, through the prayers that you've prayed, through the scriptures that you've shared, Through the worship that's gone up, we won't know this side of heaven. Two-year-old, you go to a two-year-old's birthday party, it's not the most impressive thing in the world, right? Like they can't read, they can't do a lot of stuff, they don't have a job, 
you know, you're just like, man, I can't believe you're not 17 yet. No, that's not the attitude you take. You say, but what has been done? Look, there's life here. This is a good, true, and beautiful thing to rejoice in. And still, we're excited about it. So the Lord has done a lot of work in us. He has grown us. God's word is being learned and obeyed. Men and women are being equipped in their God-given roles. Communion is received. We're preparing for our next baptism. And God's truth goes marching on. Foundations are good. It's a moment to pause and to celebrate. And yet, we still look ahead. We still know that God has more work for us to do. Once the foundation is laid, the work doesn't stop. It keeps going. But they stop in the middle of this construction site. And they said, we're going to make this a moment. Why? Because the foundation of the Lord was laid. The foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And I'm telling you the same thing has been true in Salt Church. I'm looking at a a, a pillar. You as a body make a pillar. We as a body make a pillar. Well, I don't have my act all together. Okay, well, congratulations. Sounds like you're a human being. But at the same time, you're a pillar as you walk in obedience to the Lord. We haven't achieved perfection, but we're pursuing holiness. And we're pursuing the will of God as we love one another well. So we can rejoice in this and know that Jesus is building us up. And great things are ahead for us as a church. Our best days are still on the way. And it's time to keep going. Jesus is building his church. Jesus builds through his church. And we want to be a generation in the body of Christ who has accomplished their mission. We need to do what God has called us to do. We don't need to go beyond. We don't need to do underneath. We want to say, Lord, what would faithfulness look like for us? God is always thinking and planning long term. God is thinking about a thousand generations. We would be wise to start to think that way as well, to see what kind of impact are we making generationally. I'm okay with running my race and doing my part and saying, we'll see what comes next. Paul, Paul joyfully finished his race, even though the governmental leader of the day is threatening him, mocking him, and eventually beheading him. Paul's saying, I ran my race. I did my part. Yes, he did. We're still reading his words today, aren't we? 2,000 years later, did Paul have an impact? But do you think that he could have been tempted? Do you think the enemy would have whispered lies to Paul in his last moments as he's getting ready to be beheaded by the Romans going, it's ending. It's ending for you. Those churches are going to fall apart. It's over. This thing's going to fizzle out. I'm sure that lie came. What kind of lies has the enemy been attacking you with? Has it really made a difference? Are you really any better off? Is anything really any different? The Spirit of the Lord is with you, though. And the foundations of the Lord have been laid in your heart. We want to be a generation of the body of Christ who says, Lord, find us and send us. We reject the sins common to our day and we're living for your glory. So now I want to point that out to you and show you what does that look like for us as a church. As a household, men of households, you should be guiding and showing your family this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is what it means to be a Clark. These are some things we prioritize. This is what it means to be a brophy. brophy. This is what it means to be a white. This is what it means to be a McDearman. But as a church, as your pastor, I need to remind you, this is what it means to be a part of Salt Church. To say that you're a part of this family is is to live out and to pursue the values that we have as a family. So what is our mission? What is possible? Where are we going? It is our mission to make God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want to see. I don't, we don't want vanilla Christianity that just kind of told people to have a nice day. We want to live a life that is impacting people. We want to live a life that's impacted people in such a way that they recognize that the kingdom of God has come near them. So that we can clearly and boldly say, the kingdom of God has come near you. 
They make their own decision on what they'll do with that. But we need to make sure we're bringing that bold flavor that says, you've noticed something today, didn't you? Salt is bold. Salt is distinct. Salt is not vanilla. What's our vision? What, is it, what makes us unique? Because every church could say, and every church should say, they want to make the kingdom come and his will be done. And to that we would say amen to our brothers and sisters throughout the body of Christ. But what makes Salt Church have a thumbprint? Our vision is we seek to live out first century Christianity. What do you mean by that? First century Christianity, the simple approach of the book of Acts, the simple presentation that we have from Jesus in the Gospels. How was the body of Christ grown back in that day? How, how did it happen? I'll tell you how it happened. They had incredible light shows. They had exquisite fog machines. And everybody in the church knew that they just needed to invite everybody in Ephesus to come hear Timothy preach. That's all they did. you got to hear Timothy, man. Like, if you could just hear Timothy, he preaches fire. He's got points. He's got props. It's amazing. Is that how the church grew? No, it's not what happened. No, it was the life-on-life life discipleship. It was saints recognizing that they were ministers of the gospel. Did Timothy, did the pastors, did, the, did all the other elders have their role? Of course they did. And it was to equip the saints to do what? The work of the ministry, to preach the gospel and to actually do the work. I thought that was your job. I know. I'm sorry, but now you've been corrected and helped. It's all of our job. I'm a Christian just like you. I'm a disciple maker just like you. I sit in that seat just like you do, and yet I have the added and joyful responsibility to shepherd the entire flock, to equip you for the work of the ministry. So this is what we want to do. We seek to live out that first century Christianity that says, this is my motive. This is my mission. This is my life's purpose. It's not just Pastor J.M.'s passionate about it, and I get excited because he gets excited. And like, I love the Lord. I'll follow the Lord, and it, you can't drag me away with 10,000 chariots. You won't be able to take me away because I'm following him. I'm pursuing his mission. Am I submitted to Salt Church? Absolutely. Do I love that body of believers? Absolutely. I am committed to them in a way that is distinct from the way I'm committed to other local churches. We love all the local churches in the world, all of them. And yet we share commitment to one another that is extinct, that it is distinct. (laughs) There's another word. I combined two of them. I don't know what the other one was. But it is distinct. It is a unique way. Exclusive, maybe that's what I was going for. Just like your household, you love your family in a way that you don't love other people. It doesn't make you love those other people less. It's not a wrong thing. That is a normal thing. That is a natural God-designed thing. You love your local church. You're committed to your local church in a unique and a distinct way. So what else does this mean? We're seeking to live out first century Christianity. It means the saints are embracing Christ's commission to make disciples. It means the elders primarily focus on equipping the saints and shepherding a Christ-following community, not focusing exclusively on creating the most attractive gatherings possible for non-believers. I, I would love to not have old lady weights behind me. I mean, that, that's, 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 a, that's a fine thing. Sorry, Mom. I, I know Mom likes to get her pump on with the three-pounders, but... That, but that's not our priority. Would you like to have a more beautiful facility? A beautiful facility is a good thing. Yes. Don't ever think I'm shaming that. I intend to build one someday with you. I intend to build a beautiful place where the Lord is glorified and the community wants to use it and where we go to worship. So we're not minimizing beauty in any way. And yet, we're also not holding it up as a standard to say, if we build this, then they'll come. Right. Now, we want people to come to Christ. Right. And if they come to a facility in the process, that's fine too. But whatever you draw someone with is what you have to keep someone with. Right. 
So if I draw someone with, the, with only candy and sugar, the moment that the, uh, and I try and do anything else, the moment I say, Here's, and would you like to try some broccoli? And they're like, no, 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 I'm not interested in that. I'm going, oh, this bait and switch isn't working. We have nothing to offer anyone except Jesus, and that's plenty. The gospel is plenty. So we can give them that. Is, do we want to increase our hospitality? Yes, yes, and yes. There's a million things that we can do, but we'll always do it with the right heart. We will be ruthless in our priority in saying, do we want to have a coffee bar? Why? <laughs> Why? Why? Well, because, because the saints love coffee. By all means, I don't care. Let's have a coffee bar. If somebody's going to run it, somebody's going to do it, and it's not going to hinder our worship in any way, and it's going to serve the family well, then I'll say two thumbs way up. Hey, can we put these lights in and do this, that, and the other? Will it be a blessing? Will it beautify things? Will it glorify things? By all means. But if our motive starts to become, because people will think we're cool, then I will, then I will burn it to the ground, personally. <laughs> so we want to keep our motives right. There's a, there's a place for, for goodness, truth, and beauty. But we're going to make sure that we're focused on the work of the ministry and not on the most attractive gathering, gatherings possible. We all want to be unattractive. We want to be hospitable, but we're going to keep first things first. What else do we do to seek out first century Christianity? We're sharing our lives together. This is something we're going to keep growing in. I've seen us grow in this, and I've seen a foundation laid, and we're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to grow in our trust of one another and our dependence upon one another, like Sherry was talking about. It's humbling. It can be hard on the flesh. I don't want to bother them. You are required to bother them. The hand has, the mouth has to bother the hand. Please feed me. If the hand was like, no, I'm not doing it. And the mouth couldn't feed itself. The mouth would need the back, at least, to bend over. We're dependent upon one another, and that is by design. That's not a flaw. That's a feature. What else are we going to do distinct and unique as a church as we seek out first century Christianity? We're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That was obvious. That was a standard operating procedure for the New Testament saints. The baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit was not like, yeah, that's if you want to go like Navy SEAL level Christianity. That was standard operating procedure. This is Paul. We see him meeting people. Hey, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? They said, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. He didn't go, oh, well, let me know. Think about it. Pray about it. If you want to do it. He's like, well, in that case, of course, this is the will of God. So we pursue the gifts of the Spirit as well. That's one of our values that we'll touch on in a moment. What else, what else do we have? So that was a part of our vision. Now our goal. So our goal is, is specifically when we succeed in our mission, what will we accomplish? If we succeed in our mission of making his kingdom come and his will be done, what will we actually accomplish? Well, that's incredible. Our, our region will be transformed. New believers are going to constantly be added who are also going to keep expanding God's kingdom and his will. Because as you're leading people to, to Christ in your living room, as you're opening the scriptures to them, you're showing them from day one what it means to be a Christian. You're not just saying, don't go to hell, hell's hot. You're saying, follow Jesus, he's king, he's worthy of it all, and he, he deserves your whole life. And when you bring a person into the kingdom like that, they look like, like a Bradley and Brittany look. They look like a Christie look. They don't know any different. They never even heard the vanilla version. They never heard like, don't go to hell, it's really bad. And they go, okay, I guess I won't do that. Tell me what to repeat after you again. I'm in? Cool. Is there anything required of me? No? Perfect. See you in heaven in 60 years. That's been an Americanized false gospel. 
But when you tell people the truth from day one and say, Jesus is king and that's good news, he loves you, he saved you from your sin, they go, what sin? Oh, hey, you're a sinner in need of a savior, but he is worthy. And here's what it would look like to follow him, to love him, to trust him. Give him your whole life. Give him your whole life. There's nothing better. And this is actually the, the whole purpose of your existence. It was for this reason that you were created, to glorify God. That's a full-throated message, isn't it? To go, well, that's different from what I heard before. I, I bet it is. But it's good. It's true. We don't want to complicate. We're not complicating any, anything. To be saved is a simple thing. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And yet that salvation will look like something. That salvation will bear some fruit. That, sal- that salvation will, will create a new desire where there was no desire before. So lives will be transformed. New churches are going to constantly be planted and spread Jesus' kingdom and his will. Families are going to be led by Christ-following men. Godly families will then enhance the community in every possible aspect, social, economic, physical, spiritual, political. From their position of health, they will seek the good of the world around them. That's what we're after. I mean, we're talking like absolute takeover here. Yeah, welcome to the point. That was the whole idea. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples, baptize, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. When you've done that, everybody's blessed. Everybody wins. There's only good news here. Well, except for the devil. But good news for everybody else. So our values, that's what we'll close with. We've got seven values that we prioritize. I've already listed the first one for you. We love God for real, for real. That's our way of saying that when, when we say we're a Christian, we don't mean it like in the popular American sense of like everything's Christian, Chick-fil-A is Christian, every president we've ever had is Christian. We don't want to put Christian on our Christianity. We, we, that's why we say we love God for real, for real. Number two, what's our second value? We are noticeable. Salt is bold. You're supposed to know it's there. Salt is supposed to bring out other flavors. Eh, this, this dish is kind of weak. A little bit of salt in there, you go, I can get everything now. I'm seeing all the colors of the rainbow. I'm seeing all that the Lord intended. This is what happens when somebody comes into the kingdom of God. This is what happens for your life. You were, you were living in black and white, and now you can see all things as they are. But as a church, we're noticeable. We tell the truth. Our motive is never to offend, but our motive is always to love and to bless. And that will include saying things that are unpopular. Number three, our value is we multiply. As individuals and, and as a church, as individuals, I'm always looking. I'm saying, who's that person of peace? As members of Salt Church, you're saying, Lord, who's my next person of peace? At 10.02, you're praying, Lord, lead me to them. They cause the blinders to come off of their eyes. You're praying for, for your Bible study, the one you're attending or the one you're starting. And you're saying, Lord, show me what it would look like. Make me a multiplier. As a church, that's our motive as well, to multiply. We know that we're never going to grow beyond a certain number. We've designed it that way. Right now, we've said when we get to 200 people, we're going to take 50 people and say, go, go. That is going to be a glorious celebration, but it's one that we want to do over and over and over. We want to go 200, 150, 200, 150, 200, 150. How quick can we get there? How quick can we get the next elder prepared? How quick can we get the next 50 people to say, y'all plant there, y'all plant in Deltaville, y'all plant across the street, wherever, Let's glorify Jesus. Every square inch belongs to him. Let's make sure we claim every square inch for him. We're multipliers. Number four, we fight where the fight is. 
That means we step into the things. We don't shy away from the things where our culture is totally confused and lost. We don't go, oh, they won't like what we have to say about that. We, we definitely need to step in. The church created a vacuum in a lot of areas, and Satan filled it, unfortunately. We are going to take back that ground, and thankfully, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church of Jesus. Satan is on defense. We are on offense. We're not just holding and waiting and hoping Jesus rescues us from this. We know he is coming back. We look forward to his return. It is the blessed hope that we have. And in the meantime, we are advancing. How? By making disciples. Again, to bring it all the way back, what am I supposed to do? Oh, yeah, my living room. What am I supposed to do? Pray for a person of peace who I can connect to and say, hey, come on in. Let's open it. We open the scriptures together. We do this on Tuesday. You ought to come. It'll be awesome. We'll have some snacks and... Um, you know, we, we can feed you dinner, whatever we need to do, it'll be good. But as a church, we tell the truth. That means we fight where the fight is. We're not deliberately trying to be inflammatory. It's just that the truth is inflammatory when you live in an age of insanity. That would always be a good value to have, though. We fight where the fight is. The fight would have been different 200 years ago. There would have been particular things that we would have said, well, we're taking a stand on this. Martin Luther had to take the stand against the Catholic Church to say, you cannot purchase your salvation. It is by grace through faith. He fought where the fight was. Aren't you thankful that Martin Luther, 500 years ago, fought where the fight was? And, brought the, and it was a big part of the Reformation. Well, 500 years from now, there's going to be saints who go, thank God, they brought the correction to that day that... I can't believe they had to fight that. We can't believe that the church was selling out indulgences. Hey, did you sin a lot this week? Pay us extra money and it'll be covered. That's insanity to us. But it's because of the reformers. We are the reformers for our day. Everybody's supposed to be the reformer for what needs reforming in the body of Christ. Why? Because we are the pillar of the truth of Jesus Christ in the earth. Value number five. We are deeply committed to each other. That, that touches back to that New Testament Christianity. What did they do? They brought all that they had, and they laid it at the feet of the apostles. And they said, distribute this as who, whoever has need. They sold properties. They did all kinds of things. It wasn't required. It just showed their devotion to one another. What's mine is yours. You have a need? Well, I've got it in the account. So therefore, you don't have a need anymore. My life is your life. I'm devoted to you in a unique and a particular way. So when you're hurting, I'm hurting. When you're mourning, I'm mourning. This is why it's such a complex and yet beautiful thing to be a part of the body of Christ because the larger the body gets, the more people you're connected to, you're rejoicing with those who rejoice and you're weeping with those who weep. And sometimes you're doing them simultaneously as we have prayer requests and, and things in the church right now that we're praying through and believers that we're holding up in prayer and then other things that we're celebrating and rejoicing. How do you do all that? Who's fit for such things? Only a people filled by the Holy Spirit. But we're deeply committed to each other. Number six, we believe that God is good. God is good. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that a six-year-old could tell you what good means. We don't have an elaborate, complex definition of good. What we mean by that is God's not going to cause us to get in a car wreck when we leave here today. Bad things happen because the devil is bad, the world is broken, and I was on my cell phone while I was driving, or, or what have you. Well, can the Lord use means and ways? He most certainly can. But what we see all throughout Scripture when he does, he clarifies that and he makes it precise. He says explicitly, you're now going to be invaded by these people. This is specific judgment. 
Can the Lord do things in judgment? He can, but that is distinctly different from what I'm talking about from this whatever happens is the will of God. Every bad thing is to be received with thanksgiving. Not at all. But in all things, we still give thanks and glorify God. But as your pastor, I will always emphasize God is good. How can we know? Well, we can look to his original intention in the garden. What did he want from day one? Would he have created brokenness? He didn't. Okay. What do we see in the life and ministry of Jesus? I mean, look at all the people who came to him for healing, and he told them no. Add them all up, you come to one, literally, there was one, and then still, she received. It was a test. So will the Lord test us? Yes. But will the Lord damage us? No, he won't. Apart from distinct and unique moments of judgments that are always made clear when he brings them. God is good. He's better than you think. Our seventh value, we pursue the gifts of the Spirit. We want the gifts of the Spirit. I've been a a part of Pentecostal church life since I was a kid. I was born into the Assemblies of God, and so I've been in lots of different churches over the years, and everybody has this idea where they say they're open to those things, but I want to make this even more plain to say we're pursuing these things. We're not just open to it and going, well, I guess if it happens, it'll happen. Well, it seems as though the Lord would participate with us in a particular way. So let's make sure we're pursuing these things. This is something, again, we've laid foundations. We're not where we're going to get. We've got a lot of growing to do, and that, ex- that should excite you. That should excite us to go, man, we're going to be marketplace ministers even more so. Who My only play is not just to invite someone to my Bible study, but I've also got the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit to say, man, I've got something to share with this person. The Lord knows what's going on. The Lord wants to bless them. The Lord wants to care for them. In the world, in your home, in our church services, we welcome and we pursue the gifts of the Spirit. So in addition to that, we know that we want to have multiple elders in our church. We want to have multiple deacons, always a growing number of deacons. And ultimately, we don't want to just have one healthy church. We don't want just Salt Church to be the only one. We want to be a part of a network of healthy, vibrant churches who multiply and then deliberately divide and then multiply again and continue to do that all throughout the rural communities of our region. Not, not Salt Church satellite churches, but their own churches, with their own pastors, with their own congregations, where they're growing, pursuing the glory of God and the people, and pursuing these communities for the glory of God and the people in the world who are perishing. Amen? Amen. These are the things that excite me because these are the things that excite the Lord. The Lord is pleased with you. The Lord is pleased with us. I sense his pleasure on this church, his, his kindness, his goodness, your sincerity, the love that we have. It's a good thing to feast. It's a good thing to celebrate. And it's a good thing to look forward to say, what else is the Lord going to do? If we can be this excited about a foundation, you've been excited and when you see a house put the foundation, you're like, okay, let's get on with the show. But we pause and we say, this is good. This is a beautiful moment, and we thank God for it. And we are going to continue. Like Nehemiah said after Ezra, when building the wall around Jerusalem, he said, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. And Jesus, the greater Nehemiah, finished his work on the cross in the same way and in the same spirit. said, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. May his people in Salt Church continue in the same way. We're doing a great work, and we cannot, we will not come down. Jesus, build your church. We know the gates of hell don't stand a chance. It is our joy to belong to you. It's our joy to belong to one another. It is my joy to pastor your people. 
Thank you for the great work that you've done. Continue to establish your foundations in our hearts and continue to build us up more and more like you said, God. As we pray in the Spirit, build us up more and more like an edifice, a strong tower, a mighty thing that glorifies your name. Not that glorifies man, not that glorifies people, but that glorifies you and saves and changes the world. This is what we signed up for, Lord. We signed up to be on the front lines of the mission. We wanted to be involved in the fight. And in this church, we want to care for one another well. Help us to be our brother's keeper and help us to care for the world around us. Continue to make us disciple makers, Lord. We pray that you would send us into the harvest. The harvest is ready. The harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. We're seeking to change that, Lord. Help us. We can't do anything except by your grace. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But through you, we can accomplish all things. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.